0: hey this is randy robinson and i'm the pastor of everyday church thanks so much for joining us today we hope this podcast encourages you stretches your faith and helps lead you into a growing relationship with jesus let's do it all right so we've been in a pretty lengthy series called make room Uh, normally we would not hang out in a series quite this long um, but within the series, we've actually talked about a few different topics. And so it hasn't felt like this just super long, monotonous, never ending you know, topic. We've talked about you know making room has sort of been this big umbrella um, for lots of different topics. And underneath that umbrella, we've talked about making room for the Holy Spirit in our lives. We talked about making room for pain um, and hearing the voice of the Lord when we walk through pain. Because pain is unavoidable. Um, Jesus didn't promise us a life without difficulty. In fact, he said, in this world you will have trouble, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. So the good news for us, as long as we're walking with Jesus, we also are overcomers. Amen. Amen. And so we listened, uh, we talked about hearing the voice of the Lord in the midst of our pain and difficulties. We spent a few weeks talking about gratitude and how gratitude will literally, it's been proven scientifically and medically, to rewire your brain. Uh, that living a life of gratitude brings joy and peace and happiness, as well as it's been proven to reduce stress, anxiety, depression and even physical pain in our bodies. And so why this whole make room you know concept? I mean, we're living in a world where everything is competing for our time. Uh, very few of us have any margin built into our lives. And if we do have margin, it's a very, very small small amount. And when we live that way, the smallest urgent need can just derail our lives completely. Uh, This is something that our our parents uh, of small children deal with constantly. Uh, Most of you know, but we have two small kids in the house, a three-year-old and four-year-old. If I'm going somewhere alone, I can literally be up, ready to go 10, 15 minutes. I mean, that's showered, teeth brushed, uh, at least a breath mint, if I don't have time for that. Dressed, out the door, whatever. Like, I, I can do that on my own. Adrian and Aubrey, uh, they're my older son and, and daughter. They are masters of of this, of just the, the smallest amount of time. At least they think that they are. Right? They They figure out what time they have to leave, and then they work backwards this process. Okay, I have to be there at X time. Uh, It'll take me this long. This song takes me. Adrian's got it down. He's like, it takes me seven minutes to drive to here. And he's not leaving a second before (laughs) that seven minutes. So if anything goes wrong, he's going to be late. Uh, And that's the problem is they're leaving no margin. My mom, on the other hand, who recently moved here from Mississippi, she leaves too much margin. So if I if we say to her, hey, we're going to pick you up at 2 p.m. for dinner or lunch or not dinner, but for lunch or whatever. She'll text us at one and let us know she's ready. I'm like, Look, we haven't even started the getting ready process. So uh, she's too much margin. So back to parents and small kids. So like we, you know, without margin, there's a lot less peace, a lot more yelling, a lot more rushing, a lot more stress. If Katie and I wake up late and the boys Uh, They just don't understand. They don't understand why their relaxed routine is all jacked up. Why can I not lay on the couch and drink my morning milk or whatever they're having, orange juice, and watch TV like usual? They don't understand that. Let's go, let's go. You got to go. We're going to be late. We're going to be late because we didn't build enough margin in. Um, And I would have done probably an entire message on make room for margin, but we are going to revisit this next year. Katie and I have been experimenting with margin and rest in our lives and we were already making some changes and most of you know she's had some health challenges the last couple of months and it's really accelerated our need to make room and uh so for us we're experimenting with this but every friday at 6 p.m that's our target uh, we begin a 24-hour sabbath and so we cease from all work paid and unpaid and we just enjoy family and hobbies, football and TV on Saturday. Basketball season is here. Woo Go Cats. And and if I, if I let myself, we'll get way off track talking about rest because it's been so impactful for my life over the last couple of months. And we're going to we're going to talk about Sabbath and biblical rest next year as well. But the reality is, is that the church is full of unhealthy people. We're often rushed. And bitter and sad and depressed and anxious, and we're just very unhealthy emotionally. And that is not God's best for us. There's a better way. And so making room is about reevaluating our priorities. And every time we say yes to something, we're essentially saying no to something else. Like so for me recently, and I've shared this a couple of times over the last few weeks, I've I've recently removed Instagram and Facebook off my phone. I'll still jump on my laptop during the week and just kind of scroll for a couple of minutes or whatever, but I've replaced some of that time that I was spending on social media with listening to or reading more books. I've finished five complete books in the last eight weeks and I have about five more I'm currently working on. So for me in this season, a yes to social media would be a no to more reading. And the reality is, is there's never going to be enough time, right? We have to make time or make room for what's important. And that means saying no to some things that are potentially unhealthy so that I can say yes to things that are healthy. Sometimes it means saying no to something that's good so that I can say yes to something that's better. So last week we began talking about making room for worship. And if you missed it, you missed a really good Dunkin' Donuts story as well as a surefire way for wives to train their husbands. And so I would highly encourage you to go back, catch the YouTube or the podcast replay. Um, but in order for me to make room for worship in my life, I have to say no to some things. Essentially, my yes to worship is a no to self. Right? We just sing about it. You know, I'm coming back to the heart of worship where it's all about you and it's not about me. Or vice versa. My yes to self is a no. To worship. Paul said it this way in Romans 12, verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Worship is a denial of self. John, the cousin and the forerunner of Jesus, said it this way, that he must become greater, I must become less, in John 3.30. That's the heart of worship, that he is elevated. We are. One version says, he must increase, I must decrease. Worship is always making much of Jesus and little of ourselves. And we spent considerable time last week on this thought that worship is equal to sacrifice. When we sacrifice, that is our act of worship. And we talked about how the modern church has so associated music with worship that we've essentially lost the true meaning. Because worship is so much broader and bigger than just music. That's why I love that song. When the music fades. When the music's gone, is my worship still there? In Colossians chapter 3, Paul said this, Whatever, verse 23, he said, Whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart. As working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ that you are serving. You see, we can worship when we're at work. We can worship when we're playing with our kids. We can worship when we're with our spouse or when we're serving others. When we take our gifts and our talents and our resources and give them back to God, that is an act of worship. And so I want us to understand that worship and music and singing are not necessarily synonymous. And while I want to elevate the idea that praise and worship is bigger than music, I don't want to diminish the fact that part of praise and worship is music and singing, as well as dancing or shouting, clapping, lifting our hands, etc. So I love to dig out when I'm studying, I love to dig out the meanings of the words in the Bible. So when I'm reading, like the original language of the Old Testament is primarily Hebrew with a few exceptions, are written in Aramaic. The New Testament was originally written in Greek, and I'm certainly not a Greek or Hebrew scholar. Uh, I have to research and look things up just like most of you would have to do. But in the New Testament, there are four primary words used for the word love. Of these four words, one isn't specifically mentioned. It's mostly just implied. Well, so if you've never heard this before, so there are four words. One is eros. Two is, uh, I don't even know how to say it, some people, storge, uh, Philia, and Agape, all right? So number one, Eros. Eros, Eros love is the physical, sensual intimacy between a husband and a wife, right? It expresses a sexual and romantic attraction. Eros is also the name of a mythological Greek god of love. Sexual desire, physical attraction, and physical love. It's it's the Greek god of that. It's where we get our English word erotic. Now, erotic in English often carries with it negative or distorted uh, connotations. But biblically speaking, eros, love, is to be within the confines of marriage, of a marriage relationship between a man and a woman. Now, storge describes a family type of love. So it would be a parent to a child, a child to a parent. It's a more natural kind of love. Additionally, in the book Holy Roar, uh, Pastor Darren Whitehead describes uh, Storje as natural love. He likens it to how we might love sushi or love pizza. Then there's philia. Philia is the most general type of love in Scripture, encompassing love for fellow humans, care, respect, and compassion for people in need. We would recognize it most easily from Philadelphia, which is the city of brotherly love. And then finally, there's agape, which is a God kind of love. It's this unconditional love. There's no pretenses, requirements, or expectations. For example, our Heavenly Father loves us unconditionally. We can't earn His love and we can't lose His love. Even to the point of us blatantly rejecting His love, He will allow us to reject Him. He will allow us to choose a life of sin. And He will even allow us to be eternally separated from Him. But it will never change the fact that He loves us. And so for all intents and purposes, agape love is perfect. It's a perfect love. All right, so what does this have to do with anything? When reading the New Testament, there is little to no distinction between these kinds of love. In Greek, there are four primary words to use for love. And how they're used would determine their meaning. So in in, in the language of Scripture, and going back to Darren Whitehead's uh, definition, you might storge, Chick-fil-A, but agape, your children. But in English, we simply love both. right? Not equally, but we use the same word. And because we understand that concept, right, you understand that when I say I love tacos and I say I love my children, that it's not the same thing, but we use the same word. Now, why am I telling you this? Because in the Old Testament, there are 11 Hebrew words for praise, but seven are dominant. Right? So there are seven words that are primarily used for the word praise. All right. So just like there are various ways to say love in Scripture, again, agape, storge, eros, and philia, Uh, We only read the one word, love. And similarly, in the Old Testament, there are seven words that we read for praise, thanksgiving, or worship. But primarily, we read the singular word, praise. Everybody tracking with me so far? So like, when you're reading through Scripture and you come across a word that says praise, it may mean praise praise English definition like you. we have our own definition of what we think that looks like in English but in Hebrew it may mean something completely different just like loving Chick-fil-A versus loving your children all right so I'm going to give you these seven words and my hope is that it will cause us to worship or praise differently uh, some of you have heard some of this kind of information before um, you know before we planted everyday church all of my 20 plus years of ministry I'd been I'd spent as a worship pastor some of that was coupled as a youth pastor as well And in that time, I can only remember two to three sermons that I've ever preached on the subject of praise and worship. Uh, When I was about 22, I remember preaching a message on two of these Hebrew words that we're going to address today. And I'm fairly confident I had no idea what I was talking about. So (laughs) I apologize to those people. There's a great book that someone gave me when we started the church in 2018 called Holy Roar. I referenced it, referenced it already. It's by Pastor, Pastor Darren Whitehead and Chris Tomlin. They co-wrote this word uh, this uh, book together. And I would highly recommend it. He addresses these seven specific words. So here's what we're going to do. is I'm going to give you the seven words and their definitions. And then... Um, we're going to go back and I'm going to show you where these words are in Scripture and how they're used and hopefully how to apply it to our lives. So if you're taking notes, you probably won't have time to write all of this down. I can send you the notes later and or we can post them this week inside the, the Facebook group and you can copy them down. All right. So I'm going to give you the seven. then we're going to go back and talk about a couple of them today, and we're going to uh, visit the rest of them next week. All right? So number one is the word Hebrew word Yada. And it means this to revere or worship with extended hands. To hold out the hands or to throw a stone or arrow. Number two is halal. That's where we get our word hallelujah. And that is to boast or to rave, to shine, to celebrate or to be clamorously foolish. Number three is zamar. And that means to make music, to celebrate in song and music or to touch the strings or part of a musical instrument. That's what we do every Sunday. You know, we play guitars and keyboards and we sing along with that. That is Zamar type of praise. The, number four is Todah, and it is an extension of the hand. It means Thanksgiving or confession. It's a sacrifice of praise, which we spent a lot of time talking about last week. It's Thanksgiving for things not yet received and or a choir of worshipers. Number five is Barak, and it means to kneel, to bless God as an act of order, uh, adoration or to praise, to salute, or to thank. Number six is tequila, not to be confused with tequila. That is uh, laudation, a hymn, a song of praise, or a spontaneous song. Although, I guess if you've had too much tequila, you may break out in a spontaneous song as well. Not the same thing, though. Uh, number seven is shabak, and that is to address in a loud tone, to shout, to commend glory, and to triumph. So today we're going to talk about yada. All right. And that means to revere or worship with extended hands to hold out the hands or to throw a stone or arrow. Anyone ever see the comedian Tim Hawkins, uh, his bit talking about hand raising? Hands, hands raised real quick. Okay, for those of you that have it, I'm going to show it. And those that have, it won't hurt you to laugh a little bit. All right. And
1: I know that each church has its own worship style you know, which is cool. Some people are more expressive in worship, some people more subtle, and it's all good. Um, I go to a church that's pretty expressive in worship. It's um, it's a hand-raising church, that's what it is, right? That's what, you know, anybody here go to a hand-raising church? Am I here? Sweet. Who here does not go to a hand-raising church? <laughs> <laughs> some of you are trying, you're like, I can't. I want to, Tim, I need to get some momentum. (laughs) Totally cool. But hey, if you're not used to going to a hand-raising church, you want to go and join us, feel free to join us, but don't feel like you got to join right in, okay? Start slow. we got a lot of different hand-raises that we use. We actually have names for our hand-raises. So I'm going to walk you through real quick, okay, what they are, just to let you know. Say you're at my church, music is rocking, start slow. Hands in the pockets, little elbow flap, you're fine. Very subtle. Get warmed up. Get your heart rate up. When you're warmed up, start with the first one. Ready? Carry the TV. Carry the TV. That's our first one. Very subtle. Go to big screen. Big screen, a little wider. Next one's, my fish was this big. My fish was this big. If you're a liar, you go out there, that's fine. Don't worry about it. Jesus loves you, grace. Next one's, hold my baby. Hold my baby. Got dueling light bulbs. That's our next one. Dueling light bulbs. We got goalpost. Everybody knows goalpost. Throwing a heartburn. A lot of people like to do heartburn. Double heartburn. Right back to goalpost. What's my favorite? Mufasa. Mufasa. That's my favorite. The circle of life. <laughs> Tim, can you go higher? Yes, you can. You can take one hand, go a bunch of different stuff. Pointer, hatchet, schoolroom. Release the doves. Give the Lord a high five. Press it out. A lot of women like to wash the window. Wash the window. And when you're comfortable there, go for the big three. Village people, Rocky, touchdown. There you go. There's your big three.
0: You're set. All right, so for some of, you, some of you in the room, lifting your hands is like second nature, right? You don't give it a second thought, but for others, you're not quite there yet. It still feels a little bit uncomfortable. How many of you remember the first time you ever raised your hands in public? Like, how many of you feel that awkward? Does anybody, did anybody feel awkward, or you were just like, I'm just going in? It's just weird. Like, I'm almost always, when I'm leading worship, on an instrument. And when I'm not on an instrument, it still, to this day, feels weird for me to lift my hands. Like, I want that instrument in front of me, like, to... You know what I mean? So I, I get it. So some of you like you just you're still a little bit uncomfortable. Uh, almost every service. And I said it, I think verbatim and I kind of did it intentionally. But almost every service, you will hear me say something like, if you're comfortable, would you lift your hands all across the room? Lifting our hands is the universal sign of surrender. It's an outward posture of what's happening inside of our hearts where we just say, Jesus, I surrender to you. I say that almost every single service. Uh, and I apologize if it sounds rehearsed, but I've been saying that or something like that for 25 plus years. But I never say it from a heart of complacency. I say it with a heart of motivation. I'm trying to motivate us to lift our hands in worship because I know that lifting our hands in worship is so much deeper than just lifting our hands. There's a lot more to it than that. Uh, lifting our hands is a natural expression of praise. I mean, without being prompted, we lift our hands in celebration intuitively when something exciting happens, when your team scores a touchdown or wins the game. Right? When you receive good news of a promotion or a bonus that we, that we weren't expecting, we, you know, we throw up our hands in celebration. When your kids and you got toddlers, and they finally use the bathroom in the toilet and not in their pants, you're like, yes, today's the day. So let's look at Scripture a couple places talking about lifting of hands and the word Yada. In Psalm 145 verse 10. It says, "All your works praise you, Lord, you're faithful. Your faithful people extol you. All right, so when we read that in our English language, the word praise there is yada. So he's saying all of your works yada you, which means they are lifting their hands. In the simplified version, your faithful people extol you or barak. And a moment ago, we read that de- definition. We're not going to talk in detail on that one today, but it's talking about kneeling, uh, kneeling down to bless the Lord. Psalm sixty-seven, three: May the peoples praise you or yada you. May the peoples yada you God. May all the peoples praise you. Lift up their hands. Psalm forty four eight. In God we make our boast all day long. We will praise or yada your name forever. Referencing the book again from Holy Roar, Darren Whitehood said this concerning yada. He said yada is an active posture of praise expressed by those who adore God. It's an act of praise for all uh, for all the people. All the people of God, whether charismatic, conservative, non-denominational, Baptist, Methodist, Catholic, or Presbyterian. What's more, it's an eternal verb, one that transcends time and place. And one day we will yada our God forever. Let's take it a little bit further. So it's not just lifting our hands. It's to revere worship with extended hands, to hold out the hands. But the second definition is the one that really got me. It's just to throw a stone or shoot an arrow. In Jeremiah chapter 50, verse 14, it says, Take up your positions around Babylon, all you who draw the bow, shoot at her. Spare no arrows, for he, she has sinned against the Lord. That word shoot is yada. Take up your positions, yada at her, or shoot your arrows at her. In Lamentations chapter 3, verse 53, it says, They tried to end my life in a pit, and they threw stones at me, or they yada stones at me. Again, yada is not a passive posture. From this perspective, yada is an action verb. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, "For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does." He says, the weapons that we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. And I know that contextually, Paul isn't necessarily talking about praise and worship, but he's letting us know that there are weapons that are at our disposal that aren't natural weapons. And so when we're under attack, we can throw up both hands and we can go to war. See, we sing songs that have lyrics like that, my praise is a weapon. You guys know that song. We sang it a few, several weeks ago. My praise is a weapon. And maybe I should have taught on this before we introduce that song because outside of the knowledge of of these kinds of words maybe the song doesn't even make sense but spiritually speaking when I begin to lift my hands I'm literally throwing stones at the enemy I'm shooting arrows back into his camp but because of the language that I most often use I think I may have unintentionally caused people to think that lifting our hands is only a spiritual act of surrender because that's my sort of Because it makes the most sense to me. In a a short, easy, hey, why do we lift our hands? It's just an act of surrender. It's just an outward posture of what's happening inside of our heart. But because I haven't brought the other side of it in, I think I've unintentionally thought it's just an act of surrender, but it's so much more than that. It is surrender, but that's only part of it. And so from now on, when I encourage us to lift our hands, I want you to know that it's not just an act of surrender, but it's an act of war. And no matter what you're facing, when we begin to sing and lift our voices and lift our hands right you can know that spiritually you're shooting arrows into the enemy's camp Right, you may feel like your back is against the wall. Right, You may have had just one of, one of the worst weeks that you've ever had, maybe in a, in a long time. Right, You may feel beat up and bruised and battered. All hell may be breaking loose in your family or in your finances or in your life, but whether you're at church or at home or on your job, find a place where you can throw up both hands and just begin to bless the Lord. Go on the offensive and begin to fight the darkness with your praise, with your yada, and allow the Spirit of God to move through you and in you and all around you and begin to fight with your hands lifted high. Amen. You know, I had a moment just recently and I, I, just something happened and it was just like really trying to derail and because I'd been diving into the subject matter and really studying it. So I'm, I was here, I was, by, I was actually at the church, I was by myself, I was getting some stuff ready and just something, I got a text message and it's just like, and I said, I'm not going to allow this to disrupt my joy, my gratitude, and my inner peace. And just by myself, over by that door by the kitchen, I just threw up two hands. And I just began to pray. And I said, God, I'm going to war in the spirit realm. And I just lifted up my hands just as an act of spiritual warfare against what I felt like was the enemy was trying to do to, to derail all that was going on in my life. And we spent a decent amount of time talking about last week specifically how praise and worship is more than just music. And I've tried to be clear that music is also, um, music is part of our worship. And, And it's really, it's one of the most powerful forces on earth. And so, while again, while I'm trying to elevate the concept that worship is not music, in and of itself, music can also be worship, and that's why we use music in our in our you know worship services. Um, music has the power to bring joy or sadness. It can help you be reflective and relax. It can be a motivational tool to help you maximize a workout. It can bring fear or laughter. Anybody ever like see those things where they recreate like a scene from? Elf, in particular, I'm thinking about. Does anybody like Elf? It's Christmas time. You've seen those videos where they take Elf and they put the scary music behind it. And you're watching like the Elf thing and it's just like, whoa, it's so creepy. All they did was change the music and you're like, it feels like a horror movie. Because music has the ability to just change the atmosphere can bring fear or laughter. It transcends culture and language. Music can help us re- remember. I mean, that's why companies pay millions of dollars to write good musical jingles. Or just something about music that touches the deepest parts of our souls. A song can transport you backwards through time, 20 or 30 years to a significant moment. I mean, how have you ever had that happen? A a song comes on the radio we haven't heard for years, and it just takes you back to a moment that you were experiencing, maybe even as a teenager. You know, if you're in your 40s, that was a long time ago, right? And you're just like, dude, this is like, just takes you right back because it has that power just to to almost like arrest your soul. Several weeks ago, we were talking about... uh, we were talking about preparation and how preparation and making room sort of go together. And I read a story from 2 Kings verse chapter 3, where the Lord, word of the Lord came to Elisha, the prophet, and he told them to dig ditches. And within that story, and I referenced it when I was talking about it a few weeks ago, but they were inquiring of the Lord. And the prophet of God said uh, this in 2 Kings 3.15, he said, But now bring me a harpist. And while the harpist was playing... The hand of the Lord came on Elisha. And the music that played, the music that was being played invoked the Spirit of God to come so that the prophet could hear the voice of God. And that brings us to the second one that I wanted to talk about today, which is zamar. Zamar is to make music, to celebrate in song and music, or to touch the strings or the parts of a musical instrument. This is what we do every Sunday when we come together and we begin to play instruments we begin to sing together. You, you do this in your car when you're blasting elevation worship or whatever it is that you're listening to. That is a form of zamar. And the word used in 2 Kings isn't actually zamar but the, because the emphasis is more on the harpist instead of the act of playing the harp. But there's no question that zamar contextually was taking place as he began to touch the strings. In Psalms chapter 7, verse 17, it says, I will give thanks, that is Yadah, to the Lord because of his righteousness I will lift my hands I will do spiritual warfare I'm lifting up my hands and he says I will sing the praises and that is that word is zamar of the name of the Lord most high so I will give thanks yada and I will sing praises zamar using music I think that something significant happens when we begin to couple these various forms of worship together It's almost like this multiplying effect. And I can't say that I have a scripture verse to to sort of back that up off the top of my head. But I can say experientially, I've seen that happen many, many times. Where instruments are being played and then you... There's something special that happens when we sing corporately. When we lift our hands and we pray something corporately, there's there's a special touch of God that comes on those moments. And that's what zamar to me is about. So we're playing the instruments, we're singing, and then we begin to lift our hands and begin to move into these other elements of these seven Hebrew words. God is doing something. And I'm thankful that he moves in spite of us, not because of us. I mean, how have you knew that when you lift your hands, it's it's an act of spiritual warfare, that you're throwing rocks and arrows into the kingdom, enemy's kingdom? Most of us in the room didn't. But we lift our hands anyway and God still shows up and he does what he's going to do. Sometimes out of our ignorance and thank God he doesn't just require us to be at a certain knowledge level before he moves through us. I mean, that's the whole concept of everyday church, everyday people. God using everyday people to do extraordinary things through the power of the Holy Spirit. But now that we have the knowledge, we can worship in a different way. I know for me that I'm going to begin to focus on these kinds of things a lot differently. And when I lift my hands, and there are other things, when we get into Todah next week, uh, we're going to talk more about lifting our hands because there, there are different meanings of that. But I know for me personally, as I lift my hands from now on, I'm going to know that I'm going I'm going to war. I will give thanks, yada, to the Lord because of His righteousness. I will sing the praises. I will zamar. The name of the Lord Most High. Adrian, I'm gonna have you come and play as we get ready to close. Adrian is gonna Zamar on the keyboard. And I want to I want to encourage you to take a moment and worship. To take a moment and and yada the Lord. And maybe there's people in the room right now that are going through the middle of a battle. Maybe you're in the middle of something and you're facing something. So this is a moment for us to yada, to lift our hands and to allow the spirit of God to do warfare on our behalf. If I could invite you one more time to stand on your feet. On behalf of
1: Pastor Randy and the entire staff at Everyday Church, we'd like to thank you for joining us today. For more information on the church, please visit us at everydaychurch.xyz.